of water for you. All right. It's good to see everybody today. I wanted to do, uh, definitely remind the youth because we're starting to get youth cranked back up and um, that'll be next Sunday night. We're going to watch a movie. It's not just some random movie. We're going to watch a movie that I feel is pertinent for the times that we're in. So it's going to be really good. So uh, we'll watch it. We'll talk about it. I don't want to tell you too much because then you're going to go home and want to watch it. So I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Some of you know, but um, it's a good movie and it definitely speaks volumes to the uh, day that we're in. We love watching movies like that. We love watching movies that are based on true stories. Um, we've been watching a lot of those this year. We, you know, we, we've always watched a lot, but, but the Lord's really been um, uh, poking my uh, theologies this year. You know, why do you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. What would you do about that? Why do you believe what you believe? You know, it's a good place to be. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians that we should, uh, you should examine your faith, examine yourselves to see if you're, you're in the faith, if you will, you know, to see if your perspective is right. Because, you know, there's a lot. And I, I can't speak for everybody in here, but a lot of us, we grew up in religion. And um, uh, we, we really, we, we learned to come to, to a service on a Sunday morning. We, we, were, we, were, we were taught what to believe. Um, we, power was stripped from us because that wasn't for us. Um, uh, revelation was given to, to the person up here speaking, but, but you were lay people. You were just laymen. That was the term. We even termed it. We, 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 gave, it a, we gave it a term. Layman, a.k.a. You can't carry what the person up here carries. So don't even try. You know, that's what, that's what we grew up taught. Uh, I remember in Sunday school, and I don't hold anything against the person because, you know, it's, it's this cycle of uh, the, the mirror Bible calls it the, the cul-de-sac religion. Y'all know what a cul-de-sac is, right? If you get into a cul-de-sac and keep the steering wheel turned, turned left, what's going to happen? You're just going to keep going in circles. So most of the things that we were taught in religion, it's cul-de-sac religion. It's just things that they were taught. And they were taught by somebody who taught and taught and taught and taught and taught. And then it just gets all out of whack. So much stuff is just all out of whack. And I remember sitting in Sunday school class. I mean, I remember. I can't tell you how old I was. I was a kid. I mean, I was little. And about how the, the shepherd goes out and finds the lost sheep. And when he finds the sheep, you know what he does to the sheep? He brings it back and then he breaks the sheep's legs because he doesn't want the sheep to ever leave again. And if he breaks the sheep's legs, the sheep will feel pain. And then he'll realize, wow, that's not good. The, the shepherd will bring me harm if I continue to run. And then the other sheep learn, well, look what happens if you stray away. Your legs are going to get broken. Pain's going to be because God brings pain into your life. And, and, you know, we don't want pain. And so we just want to, by fear, right, you know, um, and, and, and that's what a lot of us grew up in, whether we realize it or not. And, and I really, you don't realize how much it really affects you growing up until somebody tells you God's, God's good and God is love and God's not angry and God's not mad because we have all these scriptures that defend the anger of God. i got tons of scriptures that can defend the anger of God. Or do they? Or they may be just my perception of the scripture that defends my perception of reality. Maybe that's not truth. Maybe that's not reality. But maybe that's my perception of what I think reality is. Therefore, I've gathered to myself Scripture that defends my theology. And yet, He's nothing like what I've been defending my whole life. And then I'll fight with other people that don't believe like I believe. And I get offended in other people that don't believe like I believe. And I try to push my theology onto you. And I try to push my theology onto you. And if you don't want to believe like I believe, then you go your way, I'll go my way. I'll gather to myself people that believe like I believe. 
And now I live in the safety comfort zone where everything's good, but it's really not. But I feel like it's good because I'm gathering everybody around me who agrees with me. Because I've been taught to fear things that don't agree with me. I've been taught to stay away from things that do not agree with what I agree with. I've been taught to push away false truth and embrace false truth. not who we are. (laughs) It's just what we've been taught growing up. Listen, we all, to a degree, live in that place, right? So we've been watching these movies, man, that... um, What was the... What what did Cindy... What did you send us uh, last week about the the, the guy, the persecuted? The voice of the martyrs martyrs guy, right? It tells his story. You know, I'm watching this, and I mean, this guy got treated horribly for like 15 or 16 years, just persecuted, just horrible things and all I'm doing is I'm watching I'm watching these people beat these people just destroy these people's lives because of Christian and all I want to do I want to jump through the TV and beat the snot out of these people then I realize there's something wrong you know I realize there's something wrong we've watched Harriet uh, the free state of Jones the 24th I watch these things man And my heart breaks for the people. And I want to jump to the TV, man. We don't realize what people have endured in this country. But the Lord's is like, hey, can you love that person? Can Can you love that person? Because I got every right and every justification to be offended. I got every right. I got every law of the land that tells me I don't have to. But there's such what I call a scandal of that right there. There's a scandal inside that cross. That word scandal, it means causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality. See, we have these definitions of morality. We have all these laws of morality. And the cross will offend every law. Because it doesn't base itself and its judgments on morals. It It bases its judgments on the finished work. You have every right to hold that offense. But the cross says, I took it. You don't carry it. See, it's scandalous and it's offensive to think that though you have the right to hold offense, you have the right to judge. The cross shows up and says, let it go. That's offensive. You've been hurt. You've been beaten. Your heart's been torn. And the cross cries out, mercy. Show them mercy. Give them mercy. It cries. It doesn't just beg. The cross cries, mercy. Mercy for your oppressor. Mercy for your enemy. Mercy for those who deserve justice. That's a scandalous place to be. 
And I've been walking in that past few months. A place where the Lord has said, will you forgive them? Will you not charge that sin against them? Jesus was the perfect example, was He not? As He was being nailed to the cross. Jonathan Edwards deemed this, this teaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. And it was such a, a, a great uh, scriptural teaching. People were falling out of trees and running to the altar and getting saved. And, and it was absolutely absurd. Brad Jersak, if, if I came to faith with an eternal flamethrower pointed at my head, was that an authentic, willing faith response? If I threaten you with death, if you don't say yes, should I rejoice that you ran down here and said it? Because I'm letting you know what's going to happen to you if you do not say it. That's not the cross. That's not the message of the cross. That's the message of religion. It twists the arm. forces you to make a decision or else. When the arms of our Father were spread wide open, saying, I love you. I will not charge you with this sin. As He was being nailed to the cross, Father, scandal. Father, they're nailing Him to the cross. They are murdering God Himself. Every right for retribution on them. Every right for them to be tried and found guilty and to be sentenced to death. Every single right I can find in the laws of this world. But we don't live by those laws. Every right that said try them and find them guilty was diminished at the cross because the cross cried out, do not charge them with this sin. What a scandal. What a scandalous message. What a message of freedom. And see, you have to understand, when, when Jesus walked this earth, you have to understand where the Jewish minds were at that time. 150 years of slavery to the Roman rule at that point in time. And then before that, it was, it was slavery after slavery after occupancy after... I mean, they, had, they just... Because of some of the things they had done, they had just been completely engulfed in just, just other people's rule in their lives. And you've got a 150-year mindset of being ruled by, by, by Romans, and you've got this promise that a Messiah is coming to set the captives free. They don't, they don't realize... They don't realize that what He's coming, as, as, the, as the mirror message says, He's coming to lift the sins of the cosmos like an anchor from the seashore so that all humanity can set sail. Jesus was coming to deliver the world from judgment. From the, he was coming to deliver the world from failure, from the fallen mindset that you're not good enough, that you're not beloved, that you're not a son and a daughter. This was the mindset of humanity. And He was coming to deliver the entire world from this fallen mindset. But to the Jews, He was coming to deliver them from Roman occupancy. And He was going to come and He was going to set His throne up in Jerusalem and then all the world was going to bow down to the Jews because they were the favored race. This was what was going on in their minds. You have to understand that. Are we on the same page right now? This was what was going on in Jewish minds. This was who the Messiah was. 
So in, 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 in Luke 22, Pastor touched on, on uh, uh, about the power of finding yourself in Scripture. Um, excuse me, in Luke 4. Jesus stands up. And he, and, he, and he reads out of the Scriptures. And he reads, in, he reads from Isaiah 64. Says he goes into the synagogue and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to, to, to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, to preach to prisoners you're set free. I've come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. After he had read this, he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the minister, and he sat down. The pastor brought that out last week. Where did he sit? He sat in the seat that was reserved for Messiah. Nobody had ever sat there. And he sits down because they're like, they're getting excited now. This is... Because he says today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And then he, then he sits down in the seat. You, you want to talk about living with hope? The Jews lived with hope every single day. They lived with so much hope, they put a seat for the Messiah in the synagogues. Every day they woke up and was like, today could be the day the Messiah might show up and save us from Roman rule. He's going to save us. He's going to destroy them. He is going to come down with, rod, with a rod of iron and He's going to smash Rome and destroy our enemies and set us free. This is the mindset, right? And Jesus sits down in that seat and it says everybody's staring at Him. And they're starting to... It's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. They start getting excited. Why? Because we are about to be set free. And after he had read it, he rolled up the scroll, he handed it to the minister, he sat down and everybody stared, wondering what he was about to say. And then he added, these scriptures come true today in front of you. Everyone was impressed by how well he spoke and all of the beautiful words of grace that came from his lips. They were surprised at his presumption to speak as a prophet. So they said among themselves, who does he think he is? This is Joseph's son who grew up in Nazareth. Could this really be the Messiah? It's Joseph. But you know what? It doesn't matter because if this is the Messiah that we're waiting for, that's coming to set us free from Roman rule, it's all cool. It's cool. It's cool. I just wasn't expecting it to be Joseph's son, but whatever. We can figure all that out later. But this is just amazing. The Messiah, he's claiming to be the Messiah. We've never had anybody. This is great. This is great. A little weird, but this is great. Then Jesus said, I suppose you'll quote me the proverb, Doctor, go heal yourself before you try to heal others. You'll say... Work the miracles here in your hometown. We've heard you work in Capernaum. But let me tell you, no prophet is welcomed or honored in his hometown. And then he says this. Isn't it true that there were many widows in the land of Israel during the days of the prophet Elijah when he locked up the heavens for three and a half years and he brought devastating famine over all the land? But he wasn't sent to any of the widows living in the region. He wasn't sent to the ones that were looking for him. Instead, he was sent to a foreign place, to a widow in Zarephath of Sidon. He was sent, not to those who were in expectation, but to the ones who weren't looking. He was sent to the enemies of Israel. All the widows in all of Israel, and God sends Elijah to one of their enemies' home. 
And inside the enemy's home, he finds a widow. And he says, will you make me bread? And the widow says, I can't make you bread. I'm gathering sticks for me and my son. And we're going to eat this bread. And we're going to drink the last little bit of water. And then we're going to die. God sends Elijah to the home of Israel's enemy and saves a widow and her family. An enemy. The ones that he's, the Messiah is supposed to be coming to destroy and bring vengeance on. Jesus says, you remember that? Do you remember who the Lord sent Elijah to? He sent him to your enemy and he saved him. Oh, or have you not considered the prophet of Elisha healed only Naaman, the Syrian, rather than one of the many Jewish lepers in the land? All these Jews dying of leprosy, and the Lord puts it on someone's heart to tell Naaman to go to visit the prophet Elisha. Naaman, a Syrian, an enemy of the Jews. All these lepers looking for the Messiah, and one who cares nothing about a Messiah, nothing about salvation. And he wasn't in faith. Do you remember the story? Naaman goes, okay, I'll go, I'll try this out. And he finds Elisha, and Elisha's like, go dip in the river seven times, Jordan. You'll be healed. And Naaman's like, my God, you son of a Jew, forget you. And he walks off, right? And he's all mad and he's stomping home back to Syria. Was he in faith? Huh. God not only went to the enemies of the Jews, but He went to those who had no faith. And, and Naaman's servant is like, hey man, why are you so mad? Why are you so mad? Wants me to go dip in the dirtiest river in the, in the region? That's a, listen, if he had just come over and waved his hands over you, would you have uh, said, yeah? Well, yeah. He said, what you got to lose, bro? Get wet? Just try it. Uh, what happens? He gets healed. He gets in ticked off and he gets healed. What happens? When everyone present heard these words, what happened? They erupted with furious rage. They mobbed Jesus and they threw Him out of the city, dragging Him to the edge of a cliff on the hill in which the city had been built, ready to hurl Him off. Jesus shows up and He's like, Hey, I'm not just here to save you. I'm here to save the ones you hate. How did it make them feel? It says they were filled with wrath. That word wrath is the wrath of man. It means to be emotionally distraught to the point where you have uncontrolled anger. What brought, what stirred up uncontrolled emotional anger in them when they heard Jesus say, I am here for you as well as the one that you hate. I am here to save you and your enemy. But they had every right to hate them. They had every right to want to see vengeance on them. And Jesus is like, I'm not who you think I am. And the kingdom is not what you think it is. Because I've come, Isaiah 61, 
The mighty spirit of the Lord Yahweh is wrapped around me because Yahweh has anointed me as a messenger to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the wounds of the brokenhearted, to tell captives you're free, and to tell prisoners to be free from your darkness. What's the difference between a captive and a prisoner? You ever thought about it? See, a captive is held hostage outside of their own will. A prisoner has been locked up because of something they've done. A captive is locked up, not because of what they've done, but because of outside of their own will, someone hates them and locks them up. Jesus is like, I've come to set the captive and the prisoner free. And it made them so angry. It's so offensive. The message of the cross is so offensive and so scandalous that it requires you to forgive. Even when you have a right to withhold. And it's what we need right now. It's, what, it's, it's a pertinent word for this day and age. We're, if Philippians chapter, chapter 2 says, we're, a, we're, a, we're, a, uh, we're, a citizens, we're citizens of heaven. We're a colony. In, in, the, in the, the passion it says, you are a, we are a colony of the citizens of heaven on earth. May I add, it doesn't say you are a colony of Republicans. It doesn't say you are a colony of Democrats. It doesn't say you are a colony of Independents. It says you are a colony of heaven on earth. And heaven does not look like a Republican. It does not look like a Democrat. It does not look like an Independent. It looks nothing like government. This government of this world. Nothing like it. It's so scandalous. Because it tells you to forgive those that have harmed you and have hurt you. In, in, in Matthew chapter, in chapter 5, I love Jesus. See, they have such this picture of God when Jesus shows up. It's obvious. Because when He presented a different picture of who God was, what did they want to do? Throw Him off a cliff. This is what religion has taught you to close yourself up and only gather around you people that agree with you. Listen, if we can't agree with each other when our theologies aren't the same, if we can't agree with each other when we don't see eye to eye, how are you going to love people that don't have anything to do with this place? I mean, the Lord's been bringing people into my life that have just been train wrecking my, my thoughts of what truth is. And instead of just pushing it away, I dive into it. I mean, in, in Matthew chapter 5, and I love this. Listen, one, two, three, three, maybe four times. Jesus actually edits the Old Testament. He actually edits it. Your ancestors have been taught. However, I say to you, it has been said. However, I say, again, your ancestors were taught. However, I say, your ancestors have also been taught. However, I say, and again, your ancestors have been taught. However, I say. Listen, Jesus clearly said in John chapter 1, nobody's ever seen the Father except the only begotten who is from the Father and who has presented 
the Father in accurate light. Colossians chapter 1. He is the perfect image of the unseen God. Hebrews chapter 1. He is the divine portrait of God. The divine portrait. If anything you know of God doesn't look like Jesus, throw it out. Moses didn't present to you the heart of God. It's clear because Jesus edits what Moses wrote. You've been taught by your ancestors to love your enemies and hate the ones that hate you. Where did they learn that from? From the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law taught them to love those that love you and hate those that hate you. Did Moses get that from God? Because most people act like he did. Because it's in the Bible. So it must be true. And here Jesus, the unseen, the seen representative of the Father, the one who portrays Him accurately, looks at them and says, I know you've read it, but I'm here to edit it. I know you've read it, but I'm here to show you what truth and reality actually is. See, why would He say that if they weren't struggling with hate? Why would they say that? Why would He say that if they weren't struggling with inclusion and separation? Remove yourselves. Separate yourselves from them. We've, we've turned... We, religion has turned church... We, 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 went, we went a while back ago to uh, hear Bill Vanderbush talk. And we were coming home. And um, on, the, on the way home... We, we passed by um, a motorcycle club down in um, um, uh, Fort Mill. And, and it was interesting. Like, we drive by it. I forgot it was there. And, like, it's all fenced in like a compound. The only thing that you can see on the inside is when you're passing by is the, the gate there. You know, and I saw the guys that were kind of standing there. But it was all fenced in, right? Why? Because, see, in a motorcycle club or in a gang, they're, they're to themselves. You're either part of the club or you're an outsider. And if you're an outsider, you don't belong unless, of course, you go through an initiation. And you do something that's required of you. Right? And, and they, they gather themselves. They built fences around it, right? Now, if you're willing to do what we say is, was required, we'll let you in. But until you do what we say, you're an outsider. You don't belong. Welcome to 2020 religion. And we'll go over some scriptures to let you know in the kingdom of heaven, there's no fences. There's no requirements. But what? Just believe. Where in it? Where, where is the, where in, where in the Bible is it that we have to lead somebody to a particular prayer in order for Jesus to actually come inside of them, which actually gives you the thought that Jesus is outside of everybody until they say some special prayer and then he comes in. Where is that in the Bible? That's not in the Bible. What did Paul tell the Roman or the, 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 the prison guard when he was getting ready to kill himself because the prison doors had opened? Notice nobody ran away. He just assumed they had. And he's getting ready to kill himself and Paul says, hey, stop, nobody's going, it's fine, everything's cool, you ain't got to do this. What must I do to be saved? Well, let me take you down the Roman road 
Let me tell you, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me tell you that you were on your way to a sinner's hell, but Jesus gave His life for you and He saved you from the fiery wrath of God. Now that you don't have to endure lake of fire and hellish brimstone, if you'll believe, now, brother, say this prayer with me. Say this prayer and you'll be saved. No, he just looked at him and said, dude, just believe. You, if you'll believe it, you, you and your whole family will be saved. Well, that'll mess up some religious theology. If he believed, his whole family got saved? His whole family would experience it because he believed? Kicking over some sacred cows right there. Your ancestors have been taught, I love your neighbor and hate your enemy. However, I'm about to turn it on its head. I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Pause. Love your enemy. You know that person that cursed you and cussed you out for all you were worth because they were having a bad day? Bless them. Oh, yeah, but you know what? I didn't do nothing to deserve that. I was just walking down the road, minding my own. Are you justified in holding that? Absolutely. But the scandal of the cross says, let it go. Let it go. Do something wonderful for the one that hates you. Respond with the very uh, and, and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. One says, "Respond with the energies of prayer." It says, "For those who, who who use you, for those who who actually that word is abuse and molest you." I I, I ain't never been molested. I can't imagine if you have. My heart hurts for you. What kind of power is grace? Because grace would say to you, I know it hurt. It was so not okay. But I need you to pray for them. Paul said in Romans that when your enemy's hungry, feed him. When he's thirsty, give him drink. Why? Let the Lord handle that. You know, we look at Hitler. Seven million Jews dead. Don't justify it. Horrible, heinous acts of cruelty and murder. But you know what the cross would have told every single Jew that was put into the smoke chamber? You pray for Him. You pray for Him. Because you know what? You don't know where Hitler is right now. See, our Father lives outside of time. Our father was walking with grown-up Hitler and baby Hitler all at the same time. Our father was there in the house of baby Hitler when he was being abused and when he was taught what to believe and when he was taught that he was a, he was a, he was a perfect race and anybody under him was inferior and that he should destroy. He actually thought he was doing something right because he was trained to believe it. And see, our father saw that. You and me, 
We only see the heinous acts that he did because of the mindset that he had. But we, you and me, we are not like our father in the fact that our father was there when Hitler was being trained to think that way. You don't know where Hitler is. We think we know. We know so little. We're, we're, we're going to live in eternity Ages upon ages, never ending. We're going to be in a never ending place. Could you imagine what that place would be like if you came to the end of knowledge? If you came to the end of revelation? If you came to the end of experience? What an absolute boring place to live. We haven't even scratched the surface of the goodness of God and the scandal of grace. For that we will reveal your identity. When you love your enemies, you're revealing your true identity. And you're revealing the heart of the Father. See, if, if, until we learn to love our enemies, until we learn to lay down offense, whether you are justified in it or not, you'll never reveal the heart of the Father. Because it's in forgiving. It is in mercy that the love of God is revealed. That's where the miracle is. When the, when the temple, when the people came to the, the, the Jesus and, and Peter, does your master pay temple tax? Jesus, Jesus, they didn't have to pay temple tax. Temple tax was reserved for those who were not Jews. They reserved, there was reserved. Peter got scared, like, yeah, 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 we pay tax. Jesus sits down with Peter later in the house and says, Jeter, Peter, let me ask you something. Do, do, do the children pay the temple tax? Or do the people that are outsiders pay the temple tax? Peter's like, oh man, you're right, I screwed up. I told them we paid it, but we don't actually have to pay it. I'll go tell them we don't have to pay it. You're right, I'm sorry. Peter, listen, don't worry about it. Just so we don't offend them, go pay the tax that we don't have to pay. But how did Peter pay the tax? By going fishing. By catching a fish. Where was the miracle? The miracle was in choosing grace over being right. See, sometimes that miracle that we're looking for, that miracle, it's found in forgiveness. It's found in loving. It's found in praying. It's found in blessing your enemies. Peter would have missed the miracle had he chosen being right. Peter would have missed the miracle had he chosen offense over grace. The scandal of grace. Scandalous. It's so scandalous. And how can we, right? We look at this world. Oh, man. Time, time's not going to allow it. But, but we look at this world. I want you to see the perception of how Paul saw people. And how the Father, through the scandal of grace, how the Father sees the world. Your enemy. The person that you call an enemy. That's, they're not an enemy to God. He gave His life for that person as well as He gave His life for you. That's the scandal. Because you have a right to be offended, but the Father says, release it. In 1 Corinthians 5, 13, Paul is under this persuasion. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 13. Since we are those who stand in the holy awe of the Lord, we make it our passion to persuade others to turn to Him. Listen, you can't persuade somebody if you are ought to hold judgment against them. 
There's no persuasion. And what is that turning? It is a turning of the mind to the repentance of who they actually are. We're here to convince everybody that they're in. We're here to tear down the fences that religion has built. Making people think there's us and there's them. No, in Christ, everyone lives. And the Gospel is to present the message... You're in. 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 You're all in. It's like Oprah giving out cars. You get a car and you get a car. You have salvation. Christ is in you. Christ is in. I hadn't said a prayer. You don't have to say a prayer. He did it. That's what makes it so scandalous. He came into you when he said it's finished. That's the message of grace. That is the gospel Paul preached. You're in. See, we don't look at them as if they're in until they say some prayer. And then when they say a prayer, Jesus comes into them. Like Jesus is standing outside just waiting for them to say a prayer. And as soon as they say a prayer, He's going to jump inside of them. No. The Gospel is He's in. You're in. You're in. You're accepted. You're beloved. You're holy. You're pure. Gospel is to persuade someone that they are already in. In Luke 10, the disciples come to Jesus and they're all ecstatic because they can cast out demons. Unbelievers. Y'all realize that, right? Those were 12 of some of the racist people you have ever met in your life. They wanted to burn down a city because they wouldn't let Jesus walk through it. They were, they were demeaning to women. Did you realize that the women, women were the most oppressed group of people in the time of Jesus and the Jewish Nation was the one oppressing. It's why they weren't even worthy to be counted. Oh, there's 5,000 men. He fed 5,000 men. What about the men and women? Or what about the women and children? It doesn't matter. We're only counting the men today. You're in. 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 And it's not because you're in church. It's because you live, move, and breathe. Because in Him we live, move, and breathe and have our being. Paul didn't just write these letters because people had said a sinner's prayer. He was letting them know how to view everyone. You're in. Tell them they're in. Tell them they're accepted. Listen, we call them lost. Well, in order to be lost, you once had to have been belonging. You had to have belonged in order to be lost. You're blind. It doesn't mean that what's around you isn't truth. You just can't see it. But it's there. He's in you. You're just blind to the reality. So I'm here to persuade you of truth. And see, I can't do that if I'm holding on. And now if I, if I see Democrat, and if I see someone who doesn't believe like me, if I see Republican, if I see Independent, and what are we, is it worth offending? Is it worth holding on to our ideologies and pushing people away and moving? Why did Jesus just not say, we don't owe your taxes? You and I both know I am Jewish and I don't have to pay it. Put that on Facebook right now. Sin. That's what's on my mind right now. You know why? Because He knew that it would push them further away from seeing truth that was already all around them. You're in. Pay the tax. Let's not offend them. You're in. You're in. You're in. You're in. Everybody's in. Everybody's in. It's a scandal. 
An absolute scandal of grace. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 1, see, see like, oh, but, but you're, this is universal. No, it's not universalism. I'm not saying everybody goes to heaven whether they believe it or not. That's not what it is. But I've learned so much through people who are actually in that place where they actually believe everybody's just saying, no, I'm not saying that. There is a place where you need to make a decision. But the decision that you need to make is that you're in. You're not believing so that you can get in. Like if you'll say the prayer, I'll unlock the gate. No, you're already in. There is no gate. It's scandalous. You're in. Everybody that offends you, remember, they're in. What was Paul's number one goal? To see Christ where? In everybody. That person that offended you. That person that hurt you. That person that molested you. See Christ. You're in. You're in, you're in, you're in, you're in, you're in. See, what, are we call, what has He called us to die to ourselves in? The way we see things. You must die to your own perception of reality and come alive to what God says is truth. It's the scandal of grace. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1.16, when it pleased the Father to reveal or unveil Christ in me. Wait a minute. Stop. Selah. Think for a minute. God unveiled veiled Christ in Paul. Does it say that God put Christ in Paul when Paul said a prayer? No. It says Christ was there, but He was unveiled. And then Paul saw what Paul already had. He's in all. Let's wrap up with this real quick. Listen, this, this, why am I sharing? What has this got to do with forgiving people? Because when we learn to see Christ in everybody, and we, we, when we learn to see that Christ is, 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 is in all things and in all people, and then you can actually see that person that offends you, and you can see Jesus instead of that person, you can pray for them. You can bless them. Why? Because you're seeing Jesus in them. And your prayer and your blessing will what? Unveil Christ in them. It's the scandal of the cross. You're right. You have a right to hold that offense. You're right. You can. Law says you can. But there's two types of justice in this world. Retributive justice and restorative justice. And the cross is the justice of restoration, not retribution. God did not put Jesus on the cross because He was so mad at Him and that He had to just punish somebody and so I don't destroy the world. I've got to unleash this anger. So I'm going to put Jesus on the cross and I'm going to unleash all my anger on. That's, that's retribution. God was not paying you back and just throwing up on Jesus and now He's like, ah, now we can hang out. No, it was restorative justice. I mean, think about it for a minute. The more I understand restorative versus retribution... Somebody murders a, a, a loved family and it's horrible. I can't imagine it. But then, then, then our laws actually think that if, if they put this person in an electrical chair and they bring the family in and have the family sit down and watch that person get fried from the inside, that all of a sudden what happened to them is restored? That they walk out restored? No, that's retributive justice. You did that to me. You owe me. 
that person leaves worse than they walked in. Because retribution does not heal. The cross was not retribution. It wasn't God mad so He had to destroy. It was God in Christ bringing everything back to new. It was God in Christ restoring your perception of reality. Colossians chapter 3, and then we're going to wrap up with a song. In Colossians 3, oh, I just want to give you some scripture so you don't say, are you making all this stuff up? Where'd you get this stuff from? Through our union with Him, we have experienced circumcision of the heart. Hold on, that's two. Let me get over to three. Colossians 3.11 In the new creation life, your nationality makes no difference. Uh, Your ethnicity, your education, your economic status, they matter nothing. For it is Christ that means everything. He lives in every one of us. The King James says, Christ is all and Christ is in us all. He's not talking to the people that said a sinner's prayer. He's letting the Colossians know there's no barbarian, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Scythian. It doesn't matter who you are. Christ is in you. That'll... Woo! That's scandalous. Uh, for instance, Scythian. What is a Scythian? When, why was it such a scandalous statement for Christ to look at the Colossian church who was Greek and say, Christ is, it's Scythian. Christ is in Scythians. See, because here's the mindset of, of a Scythian in those days. A spirit, a polytheistic spirit worshiper who had neither law nor prophets, they were largely illiterate, they were warlike and dangerous, and their culture was so alien that they let women fight and be leaders. Because see, women were still living oppressed in Colossae. So Paul looks at the Colossian church and the Colossian culture who, who, are, who are sure that they understand what salvation is all about. We've got this thing figured out. We know. And Paul looks at them, oh no, no, you, you, you haven't scratched the surface of the scandal of grace. You haven't scratched the surface of the blood of Jesus on the cross. Because Christ is not just in you, He's in the barbarian. Which means the people that don't even talk your language and understand your culture. Church culture. Churchies. He's in them. So you think you've got it figured out. And I'm letting you know, He's in them as much as He's in you. You've just got revelation. But a small portion of revelation because that's why I'm getting ready to say what I'm getting ready to say. Because the revelation that you have is distorted because you've turned it into an us and them. So Paul looks at them and he says, oh, he's not just in you. He's in those polytheistic spirit worshiping people that have neither law nor prophet. You know, those, those, those largely illiterate, barbarian, warlike, dangerous people over there. Yeah, yeah, we know them. Yeah, we send missionaries to them all the time. Well, Christ is in them. Well, what do you say? I need a, you need to change your message. What is the revelation? What is the beauty and the scandal? Colossians, uh, Colossians 1. It's the mystery of Christ. Christ in you, the only hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you. Christ in that person that just drove by. Christ in that person that just drove by. Christ in all the people in the club. Christ in everybody. Christ in all the bars. Everybody in the bar has Christ. They just don't know it. That's why we persuade them. 
through love, through forgiveness, through the scandalous message of the cross. Christ in every homosexual. He is. He's in every homosexual. And me holding a flamethrower to their head, threatening them with what's going to happen to them if they don't repent. The only repentance that they need is what? Christ is in you. Turn your thinking around. You are holy and beloved in the eyes of the Father. Now, I don't know if I believe that. Throw me off the cliff then. Because this is the scandal of the cross. Listen, I want to close it like this. Every day, it's about the cross. It's about the message of the cross. We're going to close with a song of worship. And I encourage you, if like, wow, yeah, mm, I just, I, mm, I, I, I just, I encourage you to just come. Let's just come to the altar. And I just want you to, I just want you. Listen, when, 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 I, when I got saved, I was wrestling. I was a drug addict. I was, had all these things going on. And I remember I had an opportunity to go to a party one night and, or just stay home by myself. So all my friends, they went to this party and I stood, I stayed at home and, and I, and I sat down on this, this couch and I was like, I don't know what to do, God, because, my, I just, I just want to, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And he's like, turn the TV on. And I turn the TV on and the Billy Graham classics on. Right? And Billy Graham starts preaching something out of Isaiah. And all of a sudden, man, something hits me. And man, I fall on my knees. And as soon as I close my eyes, you know what I see? I see the cross. That's all I see is the cross. And it changed me. What did he use to reveal Christ in me? The cross. The scandal of the cross. I didn't realize then what He was actually trying to show me. But He was trying to show me that everything's been forgiven. Everything's been taken care of. You're holy. You're perfect. You're beloved. You're well thought of. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I'm not disappointed in you. That's what He was showing me when He showed me the cross. And it's what we should see every time we have an opportunity to be offended. Every time we have the, 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 the right to be upset and angry. We lay that down and we just look at the cross. And the cross reminds me, okay, you're a beautiful person. And you're not saying it with your flesh trying to get something cranked up because the cross actually showed you their beauty. Because the cross... See, we, we've, we've been... The, the, the cross is a very ugly... No, the cross is the most beautiful thing we could ever put our eyes on when we understand, when the blood of Jesus spilled down on the cross and hit the ground. See, the blood of Abel cried out for vengeance, but the blood of Jesus, when it restored all of humanity, it cried out for one thing, mercy. It's time to lay down the cry of Abel. You have a right for vengeance. But that's not what the cross is telling you to to pull up, pick up. It's time to look at the cross and remember everyone that offended you. Bill Vanderbush wrote a book called Something Grace. But anyway, his, his, his uncle was three days from dying of terminal uh, illness. It was done. They had already done all the wills and everything. His person that was helping him, it was a sister or something, read the book of grace about the power of forgiveness, the scandal of the cross, of how important it is to let things go. Read that book. He's still alive today. He got completely healed of his disease because in the midst of hearing the scandal of grace, he realized he was holding unforgiveness against people and he laid down the right to be right. And he got healed of everything. He's still alive today. He went from like two weeks dead to alive today. Why? Because the scandal and the message of the cross 
empowered him to let go of what he had the right to hold on to. You're in, 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 you're all in. And they're all in. Even that person that hurts you more than anybody else could hurt you, they're in. They're in. So let's just play this song. And I just want you, you can stand up. Everybody stand up. But I encourage you, if, if you, if you just want to come to the altar and just, just whatever you feel like. When I love, I love all I love.
leave you with this this morning the scripture that came up as soon as I sat down was just like Father where are we going today was Hebrews 10 24 let us provoke one another to love and good works and the Father said I want you to provoke them today that word provoke in the Greek means paroxysmos it's a provoking it's a provoking which literally jabs or cuts someone so they must respond to incite someone and stimulate their emotions it's not a provoking that causes anger. It's like a it's like a going to a a a, ch- uh, uh, a pep rally. That kind of provoking. You ever you ever been at a pep rally and, and it's, the pep rally is so good. You don't really like basketball, but there's just something going on inside that pep rally that makes you want to come back to the game and it makes you want to cheer. You've been provoked. You've been incited in your emotions to go do something that you haven't been doing. Today, I pray that this message from heaven has provoked you and cut you to your emotions to live scandalous in spite of everything. Amen.